Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire production. production. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. To make up for last week, I have to ask you, where are you today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Sacramento. Sacramento with the boys? Yeah, I have a little tiny apartment that I set up here that I'm going to Airbnb when I'm not here. Um, but it has all my stuff in it. And it's um, with a friend. And uh, it's going to be a nice soft landing when I'm tired of being on the road. Speaking of being on the road, uh, this will be my last podcast for a while from uh, the Madeline Ski Picture Office. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited because in two days, I'm going to hit the road. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Getting my getting my little RV ready, my little RV, my big RV ready um, for traveling is like stocking a new apartment. Yes. It is. You need all the cleaning stuff and the dishes and the all those things that you didn't, you really didn't think about. So welcome everybody um, who's listening, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is. Good morning, wherever good afternoon, you are. good evening, and good middle of the night. Good middle of the night, although not, yes. hopefully not for me for a while. Um, <laughs> it's really been different. Um, we had a couple of celebrations last week. We went to the beer garden one day. We went out for lunch uh, to the Mexican restaurant across the street, and um it was good. It was very, very touching. Some patients came by and dropped off some, some goodie bags or gifts, or I got a plant from somebody, a tiny little succulent for my RV. And then I got a <laughs> spa day from somebody. And yeah, it's very, very nice. Uh, it's, it's been very, very different. Um, yeah. Yeah. Different as in like, there's just not a lot to think of. So you're having a lot of empty space to just actually focus. you know what there's more to think of mm -hmm. because so I tell us it. what's different already because you're well, not on I'm the not road in, yet i'm not in a routine and everybody by the time they get to adulthood they generally like routines um they kind of like to know what's going to happen that day and what they've got to do and when they've got to pay their bills and when they've got to be at this point or point and and for the first time in a really long time i don't have that so i'm trying to my mind is racing of thinking of all the things trying to, because my mind is a planning mind. It just, it just is. And so I'm, I'm up at night sometimes thinking about, well, just see, should I get a large tube of toothpaste or a small tube of toothpaste? <laughs> you know, <laughs> seriously, it's not really toothpaste I'm thinking about, but I'm like, okay, do I get four plates or just two plates? You know, how much room do I have to to do that. And these are the kinds of things that I really won't know until I'm sort of in there and on the road and, and doing that. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Stu personally, um, you are admittedly a little bit OCD. I think everybody listening knows that, but <laughs> they didn't know that, but I'm high functioning. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, but 
it's, um, you know, my kids would say I'm a little OCD too. Maybe that's why you and I get along, but, um, it's very interesting to start to notice when you unplug, I, I was calling it like untethering. I kept imagining myself kind of cutting the cords to these different things. But as you start to untether, to notice like how much your mind, like you keep your mind busy with stuff that isn't really that important and how much of that causes a lot of stress and anxiety that is absolutely unnecessary, especially getting out of LA, just um, energetically, like how people move around the city. You know, it's hard not to get caught up in the fervor of it all. And, um, you know, when you get on the open road and it's just you and you don't have a huge checklist and you can go by your body's rhythm and your own desires, it's, it's interesting to start to, to witness. Um, yeah. and, and one of the things that's happening for me too, is like, it's logistically, it's like a riddle. All right. So <laughs> I have a car here, but I can't leave it on the street while I'm gone because there's one day a week, there's this stuff. So I got to move my car someplace, but how do I move my car someplace, but get back to the RV and then <laughs> how do I get my RV? I can't bring my RV to my apartment to load it up because no place to put it. So I have to, so mm. it's, it's like trying to fit the square peg into the round hole type thing. And, and used to be really good at puzzles like that. I used to be able to solve those little puzzle boxes and, and uh, I never did Rubik's cube, but I was able to <laughs> There were there was electronic games where you move blocks around, try to Tetris. Yeah, what was it called? Tetris. I don't remember what it was called, but I was um, really, you know I used to be really good at that sort of thing, but not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, well, you're gonna it's gonna be an adventure, so it's gonna be a good. Yeah. Time. So yesterday was an interesting day for me. People might know that I have a little bit of back pain and um, some stuff going on, and I had a full day of diagnostics yesterday. It was very interesting. I had a like. EMG or electromyelogram. I don't know if anybody's ever had one of those before, but they sort of put um, sort of electrodes or these pasty things on your legs and they stimulate your legs and then they stick needles in your muscles. And then they- Good times. Stock your muscles. And I found myself getting really sore last night um, when I got home from, I don't know whether it's from the needle sticks themselves or just my muscles being all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I went and I had- full set of spine x-rays flexed and unflexed and standing and sideways. And then I had a MRI of my neck. And then I had um, a spec scan and a CT scan after being injected with some, I'm assuming some sort of radioactive calcium or something like that. So mm -hmm. that my hot spots would light up. So I was uh, about six hours, seven hours of testing yesterday. Wow. Um, and I'm sure you don't have any results yet, but I have no results yet. Um, I'm hoping to find some answers that don't require anything major, but it was my, you know, I have ignored myself as a lot of us do in the medical profession, taking care of our own issues. So I, part of, part of my sabbatical was to get my own body in order too. And I think it's important for our listeners to know that don't wait, don't wait till you're 65. <laughs> to get to get things checked out and um i uh this is this is funny uh no it's not it's not funny but it's interesting yesterday i forced myself to get some stuff done that you know when you're on the road all the time you just don't get logistical stuff done so um 
I bought life insurance and wrote my will yesterday. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. That's funny because I, I made an appointment to update my trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go do that stuff. You think about when you when you're working every day, you don't think about that. And I want to get one thing back to the medicine thing. You know, you know how I and you and, and most of our listeners are are very skeptical of Western medicine, and I, and I am very skeptical of of much of Western medicine. And the diagnostics sometimes obviously lead to misdiagnosis, overdiagnosis, more unnecessary testing. Talk about that all the time. Too many screening mammograms, you end up getting breast biopsies and needle biopsies and lumpectomies for, for, for no reason. Same thing here. I'm going to be very careful with what the results show and the recommendations that I get. Um, I'm not going to have surgery. So uh, I will rather, I would rather sort of live with my body as it is than risk improvement, but also risk worsening. Yeah. Just depends on what it is, but it'll give you information. Right. So, what are we going to talk about today? What's you know, our topic? I got a hodgepodge of stuff today. So it's a hodgepodge. Yeah, but it all gets back to sort of. I'm reading a book right now by a woman, a doctor named Victoria Sweet. It's called Slow Medicine, and a lot of what we talk about on the podcast and we have for ever <laughs> is a variation of slow medicine. And slow medicine is actually taking the time to listen to the patient and making a diagnosis based on um, examination and talking to the patient and putting things together, almost like a detective, as opposed to fast medicine, which is tech and shift and um, never really looking in the eye, filling out forms all the time, looking at your computer, um, not taking the time. And unfortunately the medical model that almost all doctors practice under now uh, prevents that slow medicine from happening because financially it's not viable um, for most people. And she gives a, a very simple example is that they had a young 12-year-old girl who was having kidney failure and they couldn't quite figure it out. Now, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because it's, it's a whole chapter in her book, but um, they couldn't quite figure it out. And there's three kinds of, of renal failure you can have, pre-renal, renal, or post-renal failure. And they ruled out pre-renal failure and they ruled out renal failure, although they hadn't done the kidney biopsy yet. So they were looking at post-renal failure and they found that, you'd think that they'd find this right away, there was an obstruction um, blocking where the ureter came into the bladder. There was a tumor. So they went ahead and did a biopsy of the tumor and it came back benign. The biopsy revealed it to be neurofibromatosis, also known as elephant man disease. And they get little, little gross all over their body. Mm -hmm. And this, and it's hereditary and it runs in families. And every night the mother would come visit the daughter, you know, in the evening after the, the doctors had all gone home. And when they finally made the diagnosis from the biopsy, they called a family meeting and the mother walks in and has neurofibromas all over her face. And it's like, she said, nobody put it together. Wow. Everybody was looking at the results of the, of the, renal artery ultrasound and the results of the, of the laboratory work and the ults of the, and, and nobody ever took time to ask the little girl, you got anybody, anybody medical problems? I mean, maybe they did, maybe she didn't know, but they never talked to the parents this whole time because it was mm -hmm. obvious when the mother walked in that she had this disease. Yes. But they missed the forest for the trees because they're, they're in such a hurry. I had a case once where I was, I had a woman with preterm labor 
And she was on every, I think every eight or every 12 hour nifedipine for her preterm labor. And she was only like 23 or 24 weeks. And we had had her stable in what was called the maternal uh, fetal care unit, um, which was a, like an ICU for pregnant women at the hospital I used to work at, which was Cedars, I'll just say the name. And um, one night they had a, um, a floating nurse. They didn't, they didn't have a regular nurse for, that used to work with pregnant women. And I come in the morning and my woman's contracting away and I find out that they held her doses of nifedipine times two because her blood pressure was normal. So the nurse that came on thought that nifedipine was for blood pressure and held it because she knows that you shouldn't give it if it's blood pressure is normal and didn't bother reading the chart or talking to the patient or anything. And the woman ended up uh, losing her baby, miscarrying and losing her baby. Wow. And I don't know that she wouldn't have anyway. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that's fast medicine. That's not slow medicine. I'm sure that that woman, that, that nurse that came in that night never went in once to spend time sitting on the edge of the bed talking to the mother. Right. right. It makes me think about the, the dermatologist that I went to see who, you know, didn't even really look at my skin and didn't do any kind of, like, she didn't do any, any kind of testing or biopsy or anything. She just handed me four different medications. You know, it's like, um, where, where's the medicine in that, you know? Yeah, pediatricians who don't want to see sick kids, they send they send them to the emergent care. They don't want to see them. Yeah. So that you got this this theme that's going to run through a lot of the stuff we have today. Pretty much, you could find this in every one of our podcasts. Most of the people that listen to us understand where we're coming from. They 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 trust nature. They trust the birthing process. They trust their midwife, they trust their physician, or they learned not to trust their previous physician and they're seeking out new care, but they're learning that there is a value in medical care that goes beyond your blue shield card, right? And you can't just, you have insurance for the disaster. Yeah. But there's, you, there's no value you can put on your health more than having good communication, a good relationship with your practitioner, a trust in, in that they that they have your best interest at heart. And if they don't make eye contact and they don't sit down and they don't remember your name every time you come in, um, you know, it's I don't remember the name of everybody that comes into my office every time. But you know what I do before I go in the room? Look at their chart. Look at the chart. <laughs> God, familiarize yourself. Yeah, with I look people. at the husband's name. Often I remember yeah. them. I, I mean, I'll, I I'm really good with the mother's names, obviously, but. But I often don't remember the husband's name if they don't come every time. Or their kids' names or stuff like that makes right. a difference. So I look at the chart and it, it's just, it's just a, a second of an effort. But if somebody comes in and says, you know, you know, hi, Stuart, how's your horse? And that means they remembered that I had a horse. Speaking of which, <laughs> oh, I lost a horse this week, so. Yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to mention it or not. She, she deserves mention, right? Yeah. We're sending, we're sending you love and condolences as you, as you grieve. And, you know, this is part of the change, right? In life right now. Yeah. Yeah. I got it when Maddie was nine years old, I think. And uh, we had her for 16, 17 years. She was 20 years old. 
Um, the other horse has never known life without her. I know. And you said that she was, um, she was making a lot of noise as they took her away. She was, yeah, they, the, um, the vets, my vet said that she sounded like she was screaming. Oh. And you went to see her later that day, right? Yeah, I've seen her every day since, but but I'm leaving town in two days. So anybody who, anybody who gets this podcast won't come out for two weeks, but anybody who wants to go up and visit Candelita can just text me or email me and I will get it arranged and I'll get you the code and you can go up and you can say hi and there'll be cookies for her. Yeah, give her a little visit for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! Anyway, sorry, Stu. Right, but my vet was very kind. Slow medicine. Yeah, I was gonna say, giving you the the care that you needed during this time. Yeah, she called me the next day. Who does that? Someone who cares. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Ask yourself, people listening. Ask yourself, how often have you been to the doctor's office? Now, maybe they, maybe they have a staff person that does it, and that, that would be okay. But how often you go in and they find out that you've got something, you need a test, or you, you're not sure, or they're, you're a little nervous about something, and they would call you the next day to see how you're doing. How often does that happen? Because it should happen. It should. Yeah. Yeah, so. especially something emotional, you know? And for, for me, sometimes, I don't know... I, I'm sure this happens with you too, Stu, you know, I'll have somebody who's really excited about coming into care and then you, you know, they communicate with you and let you know that they're having a loss and, you know, they haven't committed to you. They haven't paid you anything. We don't have a relationship yet, you know, but the right thing to do is call and check on them, yeah. you know, <laughs> and just see, how are you feeling? You know, I just was thinking about you, you know, this is just part of being a human, right? Yeah. There's no amount of um, words or value that you can put on that knowing that someone thought of you even for a moment. Yeah. Right. And even if it's, you know, even if it's sort of like cursory, I thought of you today, I hope you're well. Mm -hmm. All right. Now that mm -hmm. a lot of us say that sort of thing, we're not really thinking about that in depth or anything, but we took a moment to acknowledge them. There's a lot of value in that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, here's a letter from uh, Lennon, just from Salem, Oregon. It was just, it, this is a stroking letter for us. So I just thought I'd read it to you. I have one I too. You, I don't know if you have anything like that. But... I have a few things. Okay. Well, this one says, uh, the subject, Dr. Stu and Bliss are the best. Yeah. No. <laughs> you have that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I'm a midwife in Salem, Oregon with a small home birth practice. I'm a dedicated listener to the Birthing Instincts podcast and usually listen as I'm driving from appointment to appointment. Great. Every single podcast has me clapping, laughing, and cheering. Woo! Not screaming? I love not, clapping not while she's Not raising your fist in anger. <laughs> you and Bliss are so great, and I'm so thankful that you are doing the podcast. It is so needed in this time where common sense is lacking. Sending you both lots of love and support. And then, and then my internet says, does this submission look like spam? <laughs> no. no, it's not spam. Spam doesn't come. You don't get spam like that. By the way, have you noticed a lot of spam lately? Uh, I don't know. I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, to be honest. With I get you. things from like Amazon or other, other um, 
vendors that I use that tell me uh, my account's been suspended. Oh, yeah. See that all the time. Yeah. You know, automatically delete, never open those. But no, but no, it don't. seems like I'm seeing more of those. And then I'm getting more spam texts now on my phone, too. Somebody, somebody got my number, and I know that there's ways to block those, but I thought I did that already, and I still keep getting these spam texts. They find their way in. They do. <laughs> okay, I was going to read something about... Um about mosquitoes but since you're on a on a tip of um kudos i'll read you this letter okay so it says hi bliss i'm not sure which was the best contact for you for the podcast but i wanted to reach out and extend a sincere thank you to you both both you and dr stew i gave birth to my son on january 7th with tanya who is the midwife in slow that i was yeah. considering doing partnership with um I gave birth to my son with Tanya attending. Bliss, you were actually going to attend too, but Wyatt came a little earlier than expected. This is one of the births I was supposed to go to, but I wasn't there yet. Um, even though we didn't cross paths in person, I just wanted you to know that you were still a great help to me and my family. I started listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast about halfway through my pregnancy. In the beginning of my pregnancy, I was struggling with the decision of whether or not to get the COVID vaccine. After researching as much as I could, with the time and information available to me, I resolved not to get it, but got a lot of pushback from friends, family, and my OB. I found the midwifery model because of the pandemic, so silver lining there. I'm usually pretty good at holding my ground when I've made an informed decision, but in this case, I didn't feel informed because good data was and still is hard to come by, especially for the non-researcher doctor. And every time someone, especially my OB, would suggest I was putting my child at serious danger, I would shake, it would shake my resolve, and I would have to reconvince myself before moving forward with the new research and new information. This was incredibly taxing with how fast things seem to be moving and evolving these days. All right, enough with the griping. Um, I found your podcast just in time. It helped in two major ways. One, I listened to many of your episodes in prepping for childbirth. Like I said, I was brand new to the idea of home birth and midwifery, and the more I learned, the more confident I was in the process. You two have such a great dynamic, both in personality and expertise. And secondly, you covered the pandemic and the context of pregnancy and childbirth. The representation of pregnant and breastfeeding women in the COVID discussion is almost non-existent, aside from the directions to simply take the vaccine without questioning its safety or efficacy but you two covered this topic with integrity and in such an open way. Thank you so much for sharing your resources and actually using your voice when so few seem to be willing to do so until they feel it's safe. It was a huge comfort to hear a couple of voices of reason and humanity in a time where the loudest voices seem to be completely devoid of both. But screw comfort, it helped me keep my, my sanity. In other words, you two are a couple of badasses of the likes this world needs more of. Please keep up the good work. All the best, Katie. Stu's giving a thumbs up. <laughs> I thought you'd like that letter. <laughs> yeah, my mom, that was a positive ring for my mom. My mom would have loved that letter. And, and yeah. Badasses. Yeah. What was her name? Katie. Katie. Yeah. Applause yeah. for Katie. Katie, that's great. <laughs> I have some stuff today that'll just feed right into that more COVID propaganda. We'll be talking about that shortly. And then I, we'll talk about it for as long as I'm able to talk about it. 
because there's all there's Assembly Bill uh, uh, 2098 out there in California, which of course if I if I'm in no wait if I'm in Arkansas, oh but I'll still be licensed by California. Can I can I give out <laughs> misinformation? Can I give out misinformation? Right. Be used to. Um, oh, I'm gonna I'm totally gonna be me. I I got I got the whole podcast and every day hence <laughs> I'll be me. <laughs> I I wanted to um read this on our last podcast and and wasn't that fun having Hayes on in our last podcast I hope you guys all enjoyed yeah, that yeah. episode you got a great great energy so absolutely yeah yeah but we didn't have time because we were we were visiting with her but um Rebecca Walker who's lunar midwifery in Swan River Minnesota do you know Swan River I do not know Swan River Swan River no I do not <laughs> I thought you might, since that's where you're from. But no, I thought know, I would know everything in Minnesota, but that's that's a town I've never heard of. Since things are warming up, um, and I'm starting to think about summer, I don't know if you guys are starting to think about summer. I thought this would be good. She says, "Hello, first off, I love I love you and your podcast with Dr. Stu. I'm a midwife in northern Minnesota, and I understand the mosquito issue. Things that help me is vitamin B complex, and she says Garden of Life is good." Two caps every day in the summer. Also, rose geranium oil on your ankles, wrists, and neck. Hope it works for you. She was giving me some tips because remember, I was getting eaten alive no. um, when I was in, uh, where was I, Stu? I wanted to say Cambria. There, there are no, there are, yeah, you were by the lake in, in uh, Ohio. Oh, hi. There are, there are no mosquito experts better than Minnesota mosquito experts. <laughs> I bet. But I wanted to tell everybody. Garden of Life is a company um, that we used to support when we had uh, our eco boutique at the sanctuary, yes, but then they were bought out by Nestle. So Garden of Life, you'll see everywhere now, but um, I don't necessarily um, support them as a good supplement um, because I think that that company doesn't necessarily have a uh, our best interest in mind when it comes to that. So um, there are some other companies that you can look for a vitamin B complex. I've talked about ben, Dr. Ben Lynch before. His company is Seeking Health. They're a great um, supplement company. And then Needed. Um, Needed is also a great supplement company. So if they have a vitamin B complex, um, that would be a great place to get it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have two current event things I want to talk about, then we'll Great. get into some more stuff. Um, I was just, uh, I took my car in early this morning to get it, get it washed because it's the first time in 12 years that I haven't had it filled with stuff. <laughs> I know, that's so fun to have your all my birthing stuff and stuff on, on it. So the car, there were so many like old French fries and stuff under the seat and stuff that I, uh, that I took it in and I got it detailed on the inside and it was so happy. Um, but while I was listening, while I was sitting there, I was listening to podcasts of my friend J Justin and Kate, who who we uh, took care of their twins. I'm not sure you were involved with that one down in Orange County. And twins? He has, yeah, he has Extreme Health Radio podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. And um, on his podcast today, he had uh, Janice Barcelo, who uh, wrote a book, and I happened to have the book, and she was talking about it. It's called The Dark Side of Prenatal Ultrasound and the Dangers of Non-Ionizing Radiation. It's a pretty thick, uh, you can see it's a pretty thick book. Um, yeah. For those of you who can see it, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is only bliss. But um, so I started listening to it. And actually, 
at the three minute mark, he, he mentions me, which is shocking that he remind because we're, we're birds of a feather. Yeah. I don't know. Janice is like way, way, way deep in the weeds with this stuff, far more than I know. And, and but it's worth listening to. It just reaffirms the fact that nothing is innocuous and everything's an intervention. Yeah. An ultrasound, you know, there's a risk benefit even to ultrasound. Yeah. Um, she's a little bit more on the on the risk side. I'm depending on on whether there's a true indication for it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm more on the benefit side, but but decide for yourself. And then what was really fun was that um, our friend Gail Tully had a thing last week. She put out a uh, blog on a breach emergency of the interlocked heads. Do you remember this? So Gail Tully is um, the spinning babies. Yeah, the founder of Spinning Babies. Uh -huh. Right. I think interlocking. She's, I think heads. she's a Minnesotan as well. Oh so yeah. We have a Minnesota connection. Um, and um, she referenced she referenced our paper, my paper on uh, the case report. So awesome. if people want to read my case report, they can go to my Instagram account and they can click on the, the uh, post. Link tree? Well, on the post, first of all, they can click on mm -hmm. the post to find the Gail Telly's article. But my, my article is on the homepage of my uh, website, birthinginstincts.com. And they just scroll down and they'll find the three published papers that I have and they can click on that one. It's pretty interesting, but it's just nice to see um, another person out there writing about getting rid of some fear-based stuff. So that was good. Yay, Gail. Yay, Gail. Yay, spinning babies. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe we should take a break right now and talk about your favorite subject. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry for those of you who weren't in on the joke, but Stu, uh, Stu uh, pretended to have boobies for a minute. So Bam Boobies, our, uh, our lovely and devoted sponsor. Thank you so much for um, believing in us. And uh, we believe in you too. And they're an amazing company that has... Um, a commitment to the comfort of mom and baby. And one of the reasons why, I mean, a lot of companies are committed to that. One of the reasons why I love them is because they're also committed to taking care of the environment. So they use reusable resources like bamboo, which is awesome um, in a lot of their uh, clothing line and in their breast pads, their awesome heart-shaped breast pads, which are my favorites. What else do they have, Stu, that you, that well, you've you know, noticed? I, I don't use their products because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, my skin is the most neglected uh, living organism on earth. But, <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, um, they have a great boutique and people should go to badboobies.com and look and they have their organic dip balm and some other things that, that a lot of our listeners would be interested in. So yeah, they're awesome. Badboobies.com and use the code word instincts that's I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S. You get 25% off your purchase. Do so, it. Yeah, do it because we love saying bamboobies. We love having them as our sponsor. We don't ever want them to not be our sponsor because then I wouldn't be able to say bamboobies. We love you. <laughs> we love you. Okay. Just listening. Uh, this is a letter from um, Move Birth in Ohio and West Virginia. And she says, I'm just listening to the induction podcast, which I think was the one that came out last week. Uh, well, now it's been three weeks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
A, a group I do skills workshops with discuss calcium and postpartum hemorrhage. So oh, yeah. we talked mm -hmm. about the calcium thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's been a lot of our listeners have been sending stuff about that. So I've got two things on that. Um, we all know our muscles need nutrients to function. So obviously calcium would be a part of that. We do need to be cautious of real food calcium versus synthetic forms to avoid increasing calcifications on the placenta. Yeah. I use the oral rehydration blend called Bannon bag. That's B-A-N-A-N bag, B-A-G, as part of my postpartum hemorrhage <laughs> protocol. I am a traditional midwife and do not carry Pitocin or Cytotec or IVs, et cetera. It works amazing and I can use it alongside oxytotic herbs. Also, Bliss would like, likely love Dr. Rachel Reed's blog, Midwife Thinking, and her recent book, Childbirth at the Rite of Passage, and the Midwife's Cauldron podcast. I, I probably should like it. I just like the title of that one. Um, they would be lovely guests for you to have chat with. Uh, thank you again for providing entertainment and info between my long drives to prenatals. Yay. You're welcome. And yes, and here's and, and following that along with the, uh, the calcium issue is another veterinary story. Dr. Stu, I love listening to your podcast. I thought it was ironic how you read the email from the lady in regard to calcium and its effects on labor and how she spoke about comp comparing to dogs. I had a conversation about this same thing with a midwife I worked with a while back. I had my first home birth in August of 2021, and then the midwife offered me a job since I was a nurse. I asked, that happens all the time, by the way. That's how a lot of us get into the birthing world. We get exposed to birth, and then we decide this, this is a calling, so this is great. I asked her if she had any experience with calcium during labor because we raise American bulldogs. And when our female had her first litter, I was told by a breeder to give her ice cream when labor seemed to stall. Hmm. I gave her some and it kicked in and we started having more puppies soon after. He said <laughs> the calcium gets the contractions going. The cold helps with cooling them down. And of course the sugar gives them energy. Hmm. I was gonna say, there's probably better things for calcium than ice cream, but it had multifunctions. So yeah, women is, should have ice cream in labor too. Why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> right, but it has to be dairy. Can't be like right. non-dairy with the, they wouldn't have any calcium in it. No, just sugar. But let's try it. Everybody try okay. it out there. For your ladies whose labors are stalling, give them some ice cream okay, mm -hmm. and let us know how it works. Plus it. Plus, it sounds like it would it would maybe induce some oxytocin. Someone really likes ice cream. It's a great flavor. It's their favorite flavors. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm feeling oxytotic right now. Just to... I know your face got all excited when I, I said that. <laughs> well, that's from Melissa, who's an American bulldog mama. All right. Okay. Well, it's one of the things I I, I didn't bring up before. Um, did we ever talk about cervical, you know, for induction cervical? Did we ever bring up ev evening primrose oil? Did that ever come up in our conversation? I don't think when we were talking about inductions, yeah. I don't think we talked about that. Yeah. Cause somebody asked me about it and okay. you know, a lot of women are, a lot of midwives use it. I, I think once, I think it was either Jen Camel or somebody, maybe it was evidence-based birth that said there, they, there are, reports of increased postpartum bleeding when people use evening primrose oil, but I don't know that it's significant enough. Yeah. What's your, what, I mean, again, I'm not an expert on this sort of stuff. What do you, what's your take on why do people use evening primrose oil? What's it, what's it good for? So evening primrose oil is, um, it has, um, my brain, my brain on words sometimes, Stu. Um, 
prostaglandins. So I don't usually recommend it standard because I believe that the body is perfectly designed. So I, I wouldn't tell someone that they needed a supplement in order to have a functional labor. Um, but if someone asks and they desire to use it, then I would let them know that it's similar to semen, very similar in terms of how it's going to support the um, cervix in terms of ripening. Not so as fun, not as fun though. No, not as fun. <laughs> um, usually. Um, so if they wanted to do it on the nights that they're not having sex, then it, it could be something that they use. But I don't tell everybody that they need it. If someone has um, a history of some kind of surgery, like, um, like a biopsy or, um, you know, have had a cone biopsy or something like that, and they might have scar tissue on their cervix, this might be a good preventative thing because sometimes those cervixes, either they're going to dilate really fast if they're short or if the scar tissue is holding, it could have a delay. I swear to God, Bliss, mm -hmm. you are the, you are clairvoyant. Oh, you have you have no idea. Let's tell listeners know that you have no idea like what I'm going to be talking about. Usually not. No, usually you don't not. usually tell me ahead topic, as I... But the letters and stuff. Yeah. Listen to this. Okay. Okay. Hi, love your podcast. This is from Jenna H. Recently listened to your episode on the misinformation and lies, specifically regarding the HPV vaccine. Do either of you feel there is a correlation between, I don't know why that she starts with that, but do either of you feel there's a correlation between stalls in labor or failing to progress in women who have had cryosurgery or LEAP procedures or cone biopsy as a result from HPV dysplasia? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. you had no idea that this letter was here, and yet you just talked about using evening primrose oil, which she doesn't bring up, but there's, there's a potential answer for people. Mm -hmm. Anyway, do these procedures on women's cervixes cause scar tissue? Yes. I, re I recall reading somewhere a while back, Bliss says yes, a while back that scar tissue is or can be formed on the cervix, thus making it difficult for the cervix to dilate, especially for the first time mom. What is often deemed failure to progress could be the cervix trying to break through the scar tissue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had cryosurgery around 20 years old for an abnormal pap due to HPV. When I was 31 years old, my, I birthed my first baby and it took me 24 hours just to get to four centimeters dilated, which normal, not abnormal, right? Right. I ended up having a successful home birth after 34 and a half hours of labor, but I only learned after the fact that cryosurgery in my twenties could have contributed to scar tissue on my cervix. That's making my labor much longer than it could have been otherwise. My two subsequent labors were six hours and one hour. <laughs> anyway, I wonder if more women were aware of this correlation, if we would see less failure to progress installed labors. Thanks for you both. Keep spreading the good word. Um, I wrote back briefly, yes, leap cryo and specifically a cone biopsy can sometimes cause scarring and a cone biopsy can sometimes cause an incompetent cervix, mm -hmm. but most of the time it does not prevent vaginal birthing. Thanks for sharing your story. I'm glad you persevered. And then she wrote back, okay, thank you. I'm grateful too. I know in my heart, I would have been sectioned after such a long labor and three hours of pushing. <laughs> Which is normal. It, make, it so makes me normal. sad to, to think that she's, she's, so tr she's so right on. I yeah. feel I would have had a repeat C-section for the second birth because he was 11 pounds. Mm. 
And both pregnancies went to 42 weeks, which that never would have happened. Right. I doubt I would have found a supportive practitioner for VBAC after two C-sections for my third. It's all speculation, but I'm grateful I found home birth during my first pregnancy early in my third trimester when she switched. Thanks again. Um, so it's true. And, it, and, it's, and I love reading something like that to hear that moms and dads are waking up. Yeah. And I, um, I love that she, I want to highlight the fact that she says, thank God I did this in my first pregnancy, because there's so many people who will say, well, maybe for my first one, I should be at the hospital. But then what happens is a third of those women are going to end up in a C-section. And then you're going to have all of these potential, um, you know, difficulties in finding a provider because now you've had surgery. Um, so do it for the first one. Why yeah. not? Of the procedures that tend to do, do cause scarring of the cervix, the cone biopsy is the worst. Yeah. And the cryo is probably second worst and leap is probably the third worst, but all of them can potentially cause a little bit of fibrosis to develop and you can break through that. It's not a reason ever to be told you can't have a vaginal delivery. No. And, and if you, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and as a practitioner, one of the things I do in my intake is I talk about like, you know, any procedures that they've had. So if they've ever had, you know, a DNC or any of that stuff doesn't mean that it's going to cause a dysfunctional labor pattern, but it's good to have that as a, as a midwife or a doctor in your brain, um, that potentially, if you do see that, then maybe you could, um, do a little bit of, uh, manipulation with the cervix to see if you need to break up some scar tissue in labor is another thing that you could do. Yeah, and then you, and then you said the evening primrose oil, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um. Hey, can I uh can I read something? I told a listener that I would um get an answer to a question today on the podcast. You, you may. And since you just mentioned multiple C-sections, this is a perfect time. So dear Bliss, I have been following um your page for a couple of years now, and I've learned so much. I'm currently 14 weeks pregnant with my fourth pregnancy. My other births all ended in C-sections to my knowledge, unnecessary C-sections. But now with my history of having three C-sections, I'm having a hard time finding a provider who will support a VBAC. And just wondering if you have had experience with VBA3C or if the risk is really high or much higher with three C-sections than just one. I'm trying to decide if I should go if I should just go with another C-section, which would make things easier for everyone, but I don't think I will be completely satisfied until I really know how high the risks are. Another thing I'm worried about is preparing myself for a possible VBAC, but then ending in a C-section again. I just don't know if I could go through that again. So I thought you could talk a little bit because I've, I've heard you talk about this before. I have lots to say about that. What was the right. reason for her first C-section? Um, I don't think she, she says, no. Okay. So we she really says, don't know, yeah. but I'm going to mm -hmm. just assume it was for something that maybe she didn't need it for. She and says then, unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the definition of unnecessary, I guess. And, <laughs> and, and then the second and third were just probably, you have to repeat. Listen. Mm -hmm. So actually, she's an excellent candidate for potential vaginal birth. Um, finding a practitioner who's going to support that is going to be very hard to do. There is no good literature in the world on VBAC after three C-sections because there just isn't enough people doing enough of them to make a statistical significant statement on it. 
Um, so you just have to sort of extrapolate the risk. And, you know, and we talk about the risk of one C-section, scar separating be about one in 200, and then maybe five to 16% of those babies. So we get, that's where we come into one in 1,200 to one in 3,000 sort of, one or 4,000 sort of risk. Um, with a, of with a, uterine rupture? Of a uterine rupture causing a catastrophic outcome. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, with two C-sections, it's slightly higher. With three sections, it's probably slightly higher. But it's still probably less than one in 100. All right. And then of that one in 100, only, you know, five to 16% of those babies will be injured. So let's just say 16 is one in six. So you're talking about a risk of about one in 600 of having a really bad outcome. And it really depends on, uh, do you want a fifth baby? It depends on how important it is for you to have a vaginal birth. It also depends on, do you believe that babies picking their own birthday is better than having a scheduled elective C-section? I think a lot of us do. So at least having the baby, having you experience labor and having the baby trigger it or whatever else and the baby get bathed in some of your hormones of labor before you end up going in for your repeat fourth C-section. That makes sense, but you're not gonna probably find a practitioner who wants to wait for that because it's very inconvenient for them. So they're all into fast medicine and we are into slow medicine. Mm -hmm. So if you were in our practice, based on the history that the limited history that I have, I would, I would see no reason why you could not have a successful trial of labor. The average practitioner will find reasons around every corner why you shouldn't. And that's because they generally don't prefer to support VBAC at all anyway. So they'll use their VBAC calculator. They'll use their lower uterine segment thickness. They'll use their inter-pregnancy interval, which is probably the only one that matters to me too, of less than six months. They'll use their um, how one layer closure, two layer closure thing. They'll find a reason to not do it. But I'm a big supporter of people having birth the way nature intended. And the uterus is a remarkable organ and heals and, and there is a risk. But then there's always a risk if you were to have a fourth C-section of something happening at the time of surgery or after. Right, so exactly. There's benefits, there's benefits, there's risks. No one has a crystal ball. Um, I think the biggest hurdle for, for this person is going to be finding someone to support her um, in a setting that she's comfortable being in. Yeah. Um, they stay out of the hospital, but I don't know a lot of midwives who will do a VBAC after three either. So what do you I think? would. I know you would. Where is she? Where is she located? Did she say? She didn't say. Okay. Um, but the part, thank you, Stu, for, for uh, going into depth on that. And the thing that I would, would say is the emotional part that she's talking about at the end. I don't know if I could live through that again. So, um, yeah, Speak given on that. that, given that she's already pregnant and she doesn't know how this is going to go, she has to prepare herself for either scenario. And, and I think that, um, with what you just said of there being a risk for either one, you know, if she can find a provider, I think that she's going to feel practitioner. <laughs> I'm like, why is there a bell going off? Um, I think that she, um, will feel more like res complete, um, if she gives it her best shot to Me give, too. to try for a vaginal birth. And, um, but I think that she, Rita, I think you also need to prepare for the fact that 
this may not end in a vaginal delivery. And then what would that look like for you? Because you can live through it. You've lived through it before and you have these beautiful children to live for. So um, you will make it through, but I get that it, it could be, um, it'll be emotional either way, I think for her, you know, and, but the potential of being able to have this triumphant vaginal birth, if she can find someone to support her um, is worth the effort. Yeah, and I and I couldn't agree more that that her reaching out to you, writing this letter, makes is a statement that says, "I'm not settled on having a a fourth C-section because if I was, I wouldn't have bothered even to write you this letter." Yeah. Right. So we're wishing you all the best. Um, if you uh, want to give us a follow up after your baby is born, we'd love to hear from you. Okay. So before we go off on um, a little viral uh, meandering here. Um, I think we should probably talk about our second sponsor today, which is Element, L-M-N-T. And Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix, which sort of we love. And with everything you need and nothing you don't, and Bliss always says. None of the BS. Lots of Just salt like us. No sugar. Yeah, none of the BS, like us. <laughs> yeah. Right. Great. Right. No misinformation. <laughs> um it's to help anyone with electrolyte needs. And, and a lot of the drinks that we drink nowadays, whether it's just plain water or whether it's something with sweeter, sweet stuff in it, it's not balanced for us. It's not as healthy as, um, as an electrolyte drink could be. And the way a lot of people are on the go and they're, fat, they're, they're not eating well or they're eating fast food or whatever, this is a way to help balance that out. We like it a lot because we think it's a good supplement for women in labor um, to have, to, to mix them up and drink those rather than maybe drinking something like plain water or, or even something sweet. I mean, there's great things to have calories in it. That's important, but Element is a good is a good uh, supplement for for our population. And you know what I was just thinking about? It's really great too that it's um, just a little packet that you can put in your water bottle, so you're not producing a bunch of waste from a bunch of extra bottles as well. And birth workers can carry it around with them too, because birth workers would probably be drinking this stuff as well. Yeah. Put it in your birth bag. So if you want to um, get a free sample packet, all you do is go to uh, drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com backslash birthing instincts. And for the cost of shipping, which is $5, they'll send you a sample packet. So give them a shot. They help support our podcast. And thanks, Element. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'm going to take a deep dive real quickly. We're going to do the, I'm going to try to do lightning round, but there's a lot of stuff here. Um, I just, I can't not have a podcast where every week this stuff piles up on this misinformation. And again, I hate that it's, it, it's not misinformation, the lies that are coming out. Remember we said that misinformation is just another word for lies because, um, I mean, cause we already have a word for things that aren't true. We don't have to call it misinformation. We call it lies. Otherwise it's truth that people don't like. And that's actually what misinformation is. Um, to the powers that be. But my internist, again, who I've been with for a really long time, sends out these emails. He sent out an email a couple days ago, verbatim from the CDC. No thought process whatsoever. Nope. Fast medicine. And he said, uh, should I get a second booster shot? Safety and side effect profiles for the boosters remain the same. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> 
And the additional mRNA boosters should not affect response to additional boosters doses in the future. Think about what he's saying there. Or I think he's cutting and pasting, but I, I'm not gonna blame my internist for this. I think he has someone on his staff cut and paste this stuff and put this stuff out. I can't believe that he spends time doing this. Next question, if I had COVID-19 recently, do I still need a second booster? What's the answer, Bliss? No. Yeah, okay. Virtually all infections so far this year have been caused by the subvariant of Omicron, which should render protection against all the known circulating variants. That being said, if you qualify for and wish to pursue a second booster, then it would be safe to do so. And this may serve to provide additional protection in the coming months. So when they say it may serve to provide, that also means it may not serve to provide. Uh, so you might as well do it. Not, okay. Here's one, here's, here's one. What should I do if I'm exposed or infected with COVID-19? The CDC has developed an incredibly helpful quarantine and isolation calculator. <laughs> you know how much I love those calculators and those algorithms. The VBAC calculator, the, um, the you know, just, oh my God. And that, that's gonna help you determine the need to isolate, quarantine, or take other steps to prevent COVID-19. How about if you don't feel good, you stay Damn. home. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> no, we need a calculator for that. Okay. <laughs> Are there treatments available if I get COVID-19? Here's the one that's more worrisome for me. If at low risk for severe disease, you do not qualify for antiviral treatment at this time. Yeah. So I suppose by antiviral treatment, they mean remdesivir or other prescription medication, blah, blah, blah but they're also not mentioning anything in there about the ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine protocols. It's not. If at high risk for severe disease with mild to moderate symptoms within five to days, 10 to days, 10 days of, within five to 10 days of <laughs> symptom onset, <laughs> you may qualify for one of several safe, highly effective treatment options, oral or intravenous antiviral medications or monoclonal antibodies. But I thought monoclonal antibodies were like suspended in some states because they didn't work for Omicron. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just want to tell you that, and then he signs his name to it, all our best, La. And um, I just, you know, if I, next time I see him, I have to have a conversation with him. I don't know how it will go, but I have to. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, all right. Um, there's a throwaway journal called OBGYN Management. And, you know what you're supposed to do with a throwaway journal? Throw it away. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Why did they call it that? Because you don't. Because they're free, and you don't have to subscribe to them. It's not like the Green Journal or the Gray Journal, which is a a published journal. This is sort of uh, it's put out by an organization, and you can read articles in it, but and then you throw them away. It's not something you would keep a file of. So that's how they I got see. the name throwaway journals. I see. Anyway, just briefly, it's a, a woman doctor from Corn Wild Cornell Medicine, one of my favorite institutions, as you know, Cornell, a couple guys over there. Um, COVID-19 vaccination and pregnancy, what's the latest? What do you think the latest is? That you should get a vaccine as soon blank, as possible. It's, it's blank and blank. Safe. Oh, safe and effective. Right. The author summarizes the safety profile and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccinations and outlines data that may reassure and convince pregnant patients to obtain vaccinations, which has ultimately been the goal of ACOG 
we did a podcast when we were still at um uh at john's house at john's mm-hmm. studio and i remember them having a we did a thing where they were t- teaching you how to talk to patients and how to groom them mm-hmm. remember that we did that okay so this is what they're doing covid vaccination is recommended for all reproductive age women regardless of pregnancy status um they give higher antibody levels uh, when you get vaccinated that cross the placenta, yet we do not know the level of neonatal antibody necessary to decrease the risks of COVID in early newborn life. I just haven't seen a lot of, of um, data on how many newborns are getting COVID and getting really sick from it. So uh, again, they're telling every pregnant woman to get this vaccine, which has never been tested in pregnant women. And as they do more testing, they're telling you that the testing is showing that it's safe and effective, but who's sponsoring the testing and isn't it backwards? And we talked about this a million times. You don't give a vaccine to people without data and then hope that the data shows that you did the right thing, especially when the data you know is gonna be skewed because data that isn't favorable to your point of view, you will not discuss or you will not get printed. So round file. Throwing it away. I did, okay. Uh, Simone Gold is the head of the America's Frontline Doctors. Maybe people have heard of her. Um, She sent out an email yesterday on April 1st, but it unfortunately was not a joke. And she says that uh, Google's mission statement is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Right now, every mission statement I've ever read by a corporation is a lie. Every mission statement. We've talked about some of the mission statements of hospitals before on the podcast. And you read them and they sound really great about honoring informed consent and honoring the patient and blah, blah, blah. And then of course, everything they do is to deny and skew their counseling and and deny informed consent. So this is also a lie. Um, Founding father, Thomas Paine wrote a pamphlet called Common Sense. Everybody should know that. Um, Everybody went to school in the 50s, 60s and 70s and maybe the 80s knows that. I'm not sure afterwards if they even teach that stuff anymore urging America to fight against the tyrannical British empire. Today, Americans and America's frontline doctors are facing a new evil empire in the form of the second largest internet company in the world, Google. And Google just told us they are censoring America's frontline doctors. Mm. So here's what they said. Our website appears to violate our medical content policy or runs contrary to scientific or medical consensus and evidence-based best practices. Now, people have been listening to me on the podcast before, and and, uh, they've heard me talk about the tyranny of medical consensus and evidence-based information. Evidence-based information is not necessarily correct, and and medical consensus is almost always incorrect. So this is just gobbledygook, a way of, of censoring somebody that you don't like. And by the way, I've looked at America's Frontline Doctors, I'm a member of America's Frontline Doctors, and I have never seen anything that they published that I thought was misinformation or not evidence-based recommendations. Okay, so they're gonna, the punishment for the alleged crimes is reduced display features, lower rankings, and even removal from Google search results. Now, 50% of the world, 50% of the searches done in the world are done with Google. So what they're gonna do is their censorships means that several billion people in the world are now not gonna be able to see the information uh, that AFLDS puts out. 
It means that any doctor who takes exception to certain vaccines, mask mandates, lockdowns, and social distancing are to be banished, censored, punished to be a loss of medical license and privileges. You're seeing that tyranny expand here in California with 10 bills that are, are taking away parental rights, they're taking away a, the doctor's right to speak freely. Um, it's a good organization. I would encourage people to go to their website and maybe donate $15 to commemorate the 15 days to slow the spread um, <laughs> um, moniker that we started this whole thing with. Um, but, get, but help support them because they, they're doing really good work as is Physicians for Informed Consent. Okay, anything, any thoughts on that? I'm just, it's just, you know, I'm shaking my head as I have been for the last couple of years. It's just like, you know, funneling the, you know, just funneling us down a path that eliminates so much variance. And, you know, people who don't know, don't know. You know, if, if you can't find something on a Google search because they don't agree, yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah, no one's going to look deeper than that. So um, then that becomes the reality and then it becomes the consensus. And then the people who don't agree with that are, are the crazies. You know, it's just. Um, yeah, you may, you, yeah. May not, you may not agree or disagree. People probably know who Tulsi Gabbard is. She ran for president in the Democratic primary uh, in 2020. Anyway, Tulsi Gabbard's Instagram account has been deleted. Now, Tulsi Gabbard's a liberal, mm -hmm. right? But she doesn't, she's not the right kind of liberal. Like so me. If you, put, if you put Tulsi Gabbard into uh, searching in Instagram, her account won't come up. And she had, uh, you know, she had a million followers. And now she- Because she was speaking against some of the COVID stuff? Some of the war stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. No, mm -hmm. she was speaking as she's uh, she's in the military. Mm -hmm. She served in the military. She was a congresswoman from Hawaii. Um, and she's speaking against this idea of going to war and starting World War III and, and, and escalating things. And of course, that went against the mainstream narrative. And she appears on Tucker Carlson, which by then is, is that's a mortal sin right there for uh, Google and, and the left. So um, they banished her. And now you can't find her. She doesn't. She doesn't exist. That, the Babylon B is a is a satire site. Got banned from Twitter. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. So, getting back to the theme of let's slow down and uh, and avoid fast medicine. Um, ACOG uh, put out a current update on uh, Tdap vaccination during pregnancy. And I just want to preface this by saying not everything needs medicine or fixing, right? And whenever you do give medicine or try to fix things, there are downstream ripple effects, downstream consequences that happen that are never, ever, ever spoken about by the people who have stage one thinking, which is most of my organizations. So this is a propaganda piece. And um, it starts out as this, as obstetrician gynecologist, we know that the Tdap vaccine during pregnancy offers critical protection. We do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. It's our best means of preventing serious, sometimes fatal symptoms of pertussis in babies too young to be vaccinated. Okay, that may be true, but what's the number? What's the rate? What's the risk? All right. But the COVID-19 pandemic has stoked misinformation 
and hesitancy about vaccine generally. What's misinformation, Bliss? It's truth they don't like. Right. Sorry, I didn't. I knew you were going to answer that, but <laughs> right. all right. And is the vaccine hesitancy uh, justified or unjustified? Hmm. We think. Still thinking. No. <laughs> right. Why would we trust these people? Okay. The CDC has no reliability, and this is to this is according to data from the CDC. The CDC survey affirmed, reaffirmed, excuse me, reaffirmed that vaccine acceptance was highest among women who reported that clinicians both recommended and offered Tdep or referred them for vaccination. So in other words, if their doctors recommend Tdap, they'll take it. Mm -hmm. But they had to have a study to tell you that. <laughs> ah, of course, if do your doctor tells you to do something, most people are going to do it. Yeah, and when you when you when we talk to our fellow travelers, you know, people who might question things a little bit, um, they feel like they're you know being harassed in a lot of ways. So there's well, some people yeah. who, who just who just will do what the doctor says, but then there are other people who like kind of push back, and then they're like, every time I went in, they asked me again, and then they made me feel afraid. Um, you know, that's that's not the same thing as just your doctor recommended it and you trust your doctor. This is, you know, there's some coercion going on as well. Yeah, it's interesting because um, one of the things they say is to help improve uh, acceptance is incorporate TDAP vaccination into routine care. If a patient does not accept your recommendation initially, continue to offer TDAP vaccine at subsequent visits. <laughs> so that's what continue. you just said. Yeah, continue they to they harass them until they break down. Patient-centered, tailored conversations about the benefits of Tdap for babies, combined with easy access to the vaccine, can help broaden coverage. I, I highlighted the words "tailored conversations" because I'm not exactly sure what they mean by tailored conversations. But how are tailored conversations about breastfeeding, about nutrition, about stress reduction, about sleep? How about we uh, put out a promo and have tailored conversations about that? No, 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 no. Tailored conversations need to be about giving a vaccine. That anyway, these findings highlight the critical role that ACOG members play in increasing Tdap vaccination. Of course, they do. All right. Um, let's see. I'm going to skip that coverage gap part. The Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or ACIP, and ACOG recommend Tdap vaccination during each pregnancy, preferably between 27 and 36 weeks. Okay. Now, again, we've talked about the idea of giving it each pregnancy. If you have a pregnancy in, in 2012 or, or 20, 2012, and then had another one in 2013, another one in 2015, that means you got three Tdap vaccines in, in two and a half years, all right? Mm -hmm. But that's okay because there's nothing bad in it, right? Safe and effective. Right. Remember Candace Owens, one of her questions was, may I see the package insert? <laughs> Mm -hmm. So ask your doctor who wants to give you the Tdap vaccine to show you the package insert and ask your doctor that whether he or she knows what else is in the vaccine besides the tetanus, the diphtheria and pertussis. And by the way, if the only purpose is to protect babies from pertussis, doctor, why do I have to get a tetanus, tetanus and, a, and a diphtheria shot at the same time? Why? Oh, the pharmacy only makes it that way. Well, you know, I like um, steak, but what if steak only came with peanut butter and applesauce 
on it at the same time. I'd have to get steak and peanut butter and applesauce every time. And I don't want peanut butter or applesauce with my steak. <laughs> I'm not making you laugh though. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a reasonable analogy, is it not? Sort of, except for the other things could actually cause you some issues. But yes, I understand what you're saying. Right. Well, they all cause you. Yeah, you don't need them. They're things you don't need. You're right. It's not a great analogy. But <laughs> but, uh, it's the one that came into my head. Steak. Yeah. You must be hungry. Here are some ways obstetrician gynecologists can help broaden coverage. Strongly recommend the Tdap vaccine to pregnant patients. We already talked about if they don't accept it, keep bugging them. <laughs> And then administer Tdap in your practice, if possible, like carry the vaccine in your practice. ACOG immunization resources includes extensive information on vaccine financing and coding. This could address perceived financial barriers to stocking vaccines. Hmm. Hmm, some incentives hmm. there. Yeah, do I need to say more? Okay. No. Um, then it says, consider sharing ACOG's 90 second video. Preparing for our new baby is our top priority which is why I'm getting my Tdap vaccine today while I'm early in my third trimester, just like my OBGYN recommended. Since I can get my Tdap vaccine during a regular prenatal appointment, it's one of the easiest things I can do to keep my baby healthy after he's born. Tdap is the vaccine that protects against pertussis or whooping cough. Since pertussis can be really dangerous for young babies, Getting my Tdap vaccine while I'm pregnant means I'm doing everything I can to protect my baby before he's able to get his first whooping cough vaccine at two months old. I'm passing the vaccine's protection onto my son, even before he's born. My partner got his Tdap vaccine too, and so have all of our family members. They can't wait to meet our little boy and want to do whatever they can to protect him after he's born. I know the Tdap vaccine is safe, and getting it gives me the peace of mind I need to focus on everything else. For the very best for your baby's health, get your recommended vaccines during pregnancy. Your OBGYN is there to answer all of your questions. So nice. Wasn't that sweet? Yeah, I mean, that was... um. That was convincing and very sweet. Yeah, it's it, it's so we know it's safe. And my husband and every family member and I went out and got it because because it protects against pertussis. But what's the tetanus and diphtheria doing in there? <laughs> it's the applesauce and the peanut butter. Like, yeah, and and probably no, you know, again, people who don't necessarily question this stuff wouldn't even know that that was in there. They would just say yes, and then they would be given the shot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, to, to put the the whipped cream and cherry on the top of the, of of the, the steak. <laughs> if you watch the video at the very end, there's a, a, a slide, a, a thing that comes up and it's up for literally two seconds. And it's, you can see it, Bliss, it's, it's this, okay? I, I, have to, I have to read what's on it, okay? Lots Just, of words, it's lots of words. Lots and lots of words written by lawyers, okay? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It says, this video is a resource for informational purposes only and does not constitute advice from your physician. It's not, it's not a substitute or intended to replace the advice or counsel of a physician. 
While this video makes every effort to provide information that is accurate and timely, the publisher cannot make any guarantee or warranties in that regard. <laughs> the information does not dictate an exclusive course of treatment or procedure to be followed and should not be construed as excluding other acceptable methods of practice. The mention or of a product, device, or drug does not constitute or guarantee endorsement of the quality or value of such a product, device, or drug of the claim or the claims made for it by the manufacturer. This video was supported by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as a part of a financial assistance award totaling $500,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I mean, oh my God. How did, how... Okay. I mean, it's so sweet. It's this <laughs> African-American couple and he's struggling to put together some Ikea piece of furniture. She brings him some tea and they're talking about uh, how happy they are that they got through Tdap vaccines because they're protecting their baby. And it gives them time now that they feel safe to think about everything else. Yeah. Who writes this stuff? Marketing, a marketing company. Do they think it, is it, do they think it's, I guess, do they think it's effective? Do, I think it's effective too. Wow. Yeah, I think I know, most I know. people. I, yeah. I, I, I see things through my cynical brain. So there's no way that, as I've said so many times on the podcast, people, once you see these things, you can't unsee them. You just can't. Right, right. right. Okay, one last thing before we go. Um, my friend Jen Margulis mm -hmm. had an article. Um, let's see what in the Epoch she's Time. A, she's a writer. She's a writer. She's a co author, yeah. if people know, of the vaccine friendly plan. Mm -hmm. But she's a lot more than that. She's a writer, she's a speaker. Um, mm -hmm. She's a mom, she's an activist. She's a, a, a very bright woman, also been banned by Twitter. And so that's a badge of honor in our, in our world. <laughs> um, she writes, why aren't more babies being nursed? And she gives a story, the day after Leslie Ott's daughter, Ella was born at Banner Thunderbird Medical Center in Glendale, Arizona, a doctor came into a room and threatened to separate Ott from her baby. The pediatrician told me I was starving my baby and I would have to give her a bottle where she was going to be admitted for jaundice and I would be sent home. The baby was cooing and crying and the pediatrician walks over to the baby and says, oh, you must be hungry. You look like you're starving <laughs> to the baby. Okay. Uh -huh. Literally thousands of peer-reviewed scientific articles show the short and long-term health benefits of breastfeeding. In fact, if all babies were breastfed according to WHO guidelines, more than 800,000 infant deaths could possibly be avoided each year. Again, I don't know if that's true either. I don't mm -hmm. want to be hyperbolic on one side and, and, and trust all the data on the other. Uh, given how essential breastfeeding a baby is, however, why do physicians actively undermine women like Ott who want to nurse their babies? Why aren't more women in America and around the world able to meet their breastfeeding goals? Um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that paragon of virtue, recommends that women exclusively nurse their babies for the first six months. So here we have one of these dilemmas. They follow the CDC guidelines when it comes to the COVID protocols and everything else, and they quote them, and ACOG combines with the CDC to tell you to take your TDF vaccine because the CDC recommends it. Yet the CDC also recommends that women exclusively nurse their babies for six months. 
how come, they, how come pediatricians don't follow that CDC guideline? Okay. Breastfeeding, yeah. breastfeeding is an unequaled way of providing ideal food for the healthy growth and development of infants. Infants should be exclusively breastfed for the first six months to achieve optimal growth, development, and health. But only about 47% of moms are still exclusively nursing when their babies are three months old. By six months, only 26% of women are exclusively nursing. A full 19% of breastfed infants are supplemented with formula before they are two days old. Yet early supplementation of formula has been shown to decrease the odds of successful breastfeeding. Yeah, absolutely. Human milk for babies is the perfect food. It's easily digestible, it tastes delicious, and it has just the right combination of fats, um, healthy fats, proteins, as well as oligosaccharides that adhere to the newborn's intestinal lining to allow good bacteria to flourish. Breast milk also contains essential immune enhancing and disease preventing properties. Mm -hmm. In addition, breastfeeding releases oxytocin, mm -hmm. increasing feelings of trust, peace, well-being, and bonding. According to the Cleveland Clinic, early breastfeeding also helps the uterus contract back to its normal size. That's true. And reduces the risk of postpartum hemorrhaging. Gee, nature's design. Gee. Gee. <laughs> Okay. In addition, women who breastfed their babies reduced their likelihood of getting breast cancer, urinary tract infections, and anemia. I can't say to what degree. That may be a small number of improvement as well. And again, I don't want to emphasize the small numbers I like and, and ridicule the small numbers I don't like. So I'm just saying that, but I think these things are relatively true. But the question is, how much of an improvement does it have? And I don't have an answer for that. Well, the, the difference is, is one of them is nature. And one of them is not. Well, that's a, yes, that is the, the, that's the obvious difference why I'm even reading it. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, as far as numbers go, I don't want to overemphasize numbers that might no, I get it. be small. I want to be fair. We want I to get be it. But, but I think that you, in, in terms of, of uh, trusting, you can trust that nature has, has got it figured out most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Breastfeeding moms are also less likely to suffer from severe postpartum depression than their formula feeding co uh, cohorts. Mm -hmm. um, health benefits of breastfeeding continue for the baby long after infancy. A relatively large 2021 study conducted by a team of scientists from Switzerland, the UK, and the United States found that children who were exclusively or partially breastfed had fewer neurodevelopmental disorders at age four, higher IQs at age eight, than children who were formula fed. Again, same numbers apply. I don't know what the improvement was, but as Bliss, you said so eloquently, you're just doing what nature designed. Why wouldn't you think it would be better for you, right? Mm -hmm. But so why, why is breastfeeding not as universal as we like? And that's because infant formula companies influence doctors and moms. You mentioned very early on that Nestle's bought your wish, what was it, what, what company? Garden of Life. Garden of Life. The two largest infant formula manufacturers, Nestle and Danone, spent well over a billion dollars on advertising in 2018 to 2019 alone. So it's very much like they probably hired the same marketing people that did our uh, Tdap video <laughs> to do a, to do a breastfeeding video because I'm sure it's very very influential, very uh, very convincing. Industry tactics have included making unfounded health claims about the benefits of artificial milk for infants and promoting misleading information about breastfeeding in order to cultivate parental fear and uncertainty. 
They have also used aggressive donation campaigns to make themselves appear as supporters in the fight against COVID-19, the study found. The goodwill these companies gain by participating in the fight against COVID-19 translates into a valuable marketing asset, one that has served ultimately to undermine maternal and child health during the COVID-19 pandemic, wrote the researchers. Although breast milk is living, wholesome, nutrient-dense substance, and artificial milk is a desiccated product that includes ingredients like corn syrup, solids, palm oil, carrageenan, maltodextrin, and lactose, as well as genetically modified organisms and even glyphosate. Part of the industry's advertising strategy is to promote infant formula as equivalent to breast milk. And this strategy has been sadly effective. In a 2011 report about the barriers to breastfeeding in the United States, the Surgeon General cited the lack of support for breastfeeding education on the parts of hospitals and doctors and a lack of cultural support. Right, I think the doctors are too busy influencing people about Tdap, induction, you're too old, placenta's aging. That's what they're, you know, and they don't talk about breastfeeding. Listen, they don't. We didn't get any education about breastfeeding in medical school or residency, none. Dr. Jay Gordon, who's a physician down in SoCal, who mm -hmm. has kind of always been a family-friendly doctor. He's kind of got a little bit flipped on the COVID stuff, but he's still a champion of breastfeeding and a pediatrician in private practice in Southern California, who's written some books and has over four decades of medical experience, told, Jennifer, told the author, that he believed pharmaceutical representatives and formula industry salespeople are a big reason why doctors end up undermining breastfeeding. Until he barred them from his office, drug reps would bring Gordon and his staff free lunches, free samples, branded pens, clipboards, and, and free swag bags. And we used to get these all the time. And I was guilty of giving them out. I think I might've mentioned this on a previous podcast where, yeah, they brought us really nice lunches and the beautiful bags with mm -hmm. all kinds of like gift coupons and stuff like that, and a can of Enfamil or a can of Similac yeah. um, in it. And so that we would start from the very beginning. And then as, as I told you, I think in the last podcast, we used to have a thing on the standing order sheet that we could inject a new mom with to dry up her milk. And this was standing orders in the 80s and 90s. Pediatricians recommend brands of formula, Gordon said. The formula manufacturer who buys you lunch the most often is liable to be the one you push, okay? And that's true. Lastly, Ronda Rousey, people might know her, she's a professional wrestler, actress, and martial artist, has been posting breastfeeding photographs of her new baby. Our boys asked me the other day how I'm gonna feed Poe, that's the baby's name, on the plane when we take her with us to Hawaii, Rousey wrote. And she said, and I was like, uh, the same way I always do. <laughs> then it occurred to me that they were probably never seen anyone breastfeed before and weren't sure if it was appropriate in public. So we here at the Brilliant Instinct Podcast want to be sure that we make it public. It we, we do, we do. And I was always one of those people who breastfed openly. And that's because I think that it's important for us to see that, um, you know, to see that this is normal, natural. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to go into the bathroom. I don't have to cover myself up. I don't, you know, I'm going to feed my baby because this is the most natural thing possible. So um, I think that's important. And it's, <clears throat> it's legal in all states to be able to breastfeed publicly. So don't let anybody shame you for that. And it is important, just like seeing birth images are important because um, it's the most natural thing in the world. I know. And it's one of those things like you scratch your head 50, 100 years ago and 
or whatever and say, well, I, I guess you're right. I mean, the culture was, was repressive in those days, but the idea that we need a law that says women can, <laughs> can feed their child. Right. Yeah, it just goes to show you how, how, how far we've gotten from where we should be. And getting back to the initial theme of the podcast, um, taking time to think before we react, um, trusting that nature does things right the, uh, most of the time, that there are ripple effects to everything that we do when we interfere with nature, that the best thing that you can do for some people in your practice or in, in our birthing world is to just give them your, your time. Yeah, and, and, and listen to women. Listen to what they're telling you. Trust that they have instincts and that they know what is best for them. This is a big one. Um, and develop relationships. And on that note, that's a good note to, uh, to say goodbye to you and say goodbye to Madeline's painting, unless I decide to put it into my uh, RV. I might Aww. actually take it along with me. We'll see you on the road, Stu. We'll see you on the road. I don't know where I'll be next uh, next time. I'm gonna April 10th. I'll be teaching. Um, this will probably won't, it won't. This will be out afterwards. So last April 10th, I was in uh, Berea, Kentucky, with the Indie Birth people teaching breach. And uh, people want to find out where I'm going to be teaching. They can go to the events page on my website at, website at birthinginstincts.com. Awesome. Safe travels. Okay. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 